Lord God. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for the joy of the Lord. Thank you, Father God, that you're with us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in this place. And, uh, and just in this time we have together, Lord, the remaining time we have together, would you just be glorified? Would you do something, Lord, in us that, uh, that can't be scripted, Lord? Would you do something that's just, that's just you? Would you show yourself to be who you are, who we know you to be? And so I just, Lord, I know I have a lot of things planned to say, Lord God, but I just surrender to your will, to your to your ways, Lord, for your people who've gathered here to be together with one another and to be with you, Lord. Your voice be the loudest voice that's heard this morning, Lord God. Stir our hearts, change us, use us, Lord God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. Let me kick straight into the scripture that we have to share with you this morning. Um, Let me just read that out first and put it out there. So we're working through Psalms, and this is uh, Psalm chapter 9, the ninth Psalm. Um, And it goes like this. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. That's what we did this morning. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and they perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, given righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. So Psalm chapter 9, incredible portion of scripture. Um, and what we're going to focus on this morning, but also what I'd like to do this morning is, uh, is to speak to you about uh, Lesotho. You know, I've been away there for the last week or two. And, uh, and that's what this morning was always going to be about, right? Was, was speaking to you about what happened because I want to like, tell you all the good stuff that God had done. And so I was like, do I, do I like, just, like, just get up and do that and not preach a sermon? Or do I preach a sermon and not do that? And uh, to my delight, I turned to Psalm chapter 9. Uh, which was this, this week's uh, passage, and, uh, and it starts with this, verse 1. It says that I may recount all your, I will give thanks to the Lord in my whole heart, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So what I'm going to do this morning is recount all of the wonderful deeds of God that he did over the past couple of weeks uh, in Lesotho and, and beyond. Um, 
and, uh, and tell you the things that he's done. I was delighted that I didn't have to shoehorn this into some other sermon because it was going to happen anyway. Yeah? I was going to find a segue to get to Lesotho somehow or other. Um, but all, what I want to do this morning is not just talk about how we should recount all the Lord's wonderful deeds. We've just been through a little season, a short couple of weeks where God has done incredible things and I want to recount them to you this morning. I love the other verses that are in this as well. Verse 9, which is up there, that it says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, that our work in Lesotho is working with people who've been oppressed. It's working with people who've been battered down. It's working by people who circumstances and spiritual forces, whatever has come alongside to just leave them in a battered state. But the Lord is a stronghold for it. I love that in verse, uh, in verse 12, it says that he hears he, he who avenges blood is mindful of them, that he hears, he does not forget the cry of the afflicted, that there's a group of people who are afflicted and God doesn't forget their cry as they call out to him. I love that it says in verse 18 that the needy shall not always be forgotten and that the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. We can look around the world and see the state that these third world countries are in and think what hope is there for them. But here we have Psalms written thousands of years ago where there's a promise given that says the needy are not going to be forgotten and the hope of the poor will not perish forever, meaning that they're not going to be without hope forever. We know Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus opens the scroll from Isaiah the first time he gets up to speak and he says, here's what's after happening today in your midst. I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. That something has changed in the world since Jesus came along. And then Jesus sends us out with the same good news, with the same message of hope to the poor. And so we, 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 we get to live in the middle of this. And what a life it is we get to live. Guys, as I was, maybe it's because I'm just back from Lesotho and maybe that's what's going on in my mind, this adventure and whatever. But, but honestly, as we were worshipping there, I just felt that God wanted to like open our eyes to, you know, we can just get stuck in like the humdrum of life and things that seem to be huge but really aren't huge, things that just distract us, things that just like we're just like going through the motions or whatever. And God, God just wants to snap us out of it. Like we believe some crazy in the best way we believe some some crazy stuff we believe that god came to earth in the form of a human called jesus we believe that that, that he ascended back up into heaven and that he reigns there we believe that we have a glorious future with him we believe that one day he returns and he restores this whole broken earth this whole broken system of the world we believe incredible things and 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 sometimes i think there's a disconnect between the things we believe on paper and the things that actually make it into our hearts and shape our lives because if that message is true if the gospel is true then man, it changes like absolutely everything. It should change what I do with every breath I have. It should change what I do with every step, every ounce of energy that God has called us into his purposes, that he sent us out to continue what he started in Jesus. What a life we get to live, that there's a, a reason for us, for us, for you and me in the vastness of the universe. And we get to walk in that. And You know, this project started in Lesotho, you probably all know about it, so I won't go into all the details of, about it, but largely due to the HIV-AIDS epidemic, there's like this crisis in Lesotho where the average life expectancy, one in four people have HIV-AIDS, life expectancy has dropped to the early 40s, which has left a ton of kids um, orphaned. It's not a developed country by any stretch of the imagination. There's not electricity in the majority of the country. Water is still gathered from, from wells, and it's not pumped through an infrastructure or anything. It's, it's taken from rivers and wells, and people are walking with it. It's like the, the Africa you picture when you see on like TV screens. You see like appeals and that sort of stuff. That's what it's like in Lesotho. And this generation is dying off and leaving groups of kids, so much so that one out of every three children in Lesotho, one in every three kids is an orphan. One out of every three of them. That's 250,000 orphans in Lesotho. 
About half of them have access to like family, grandparents or whatever who escaped the HIV AIDS epidemic and they're being looked after them. The other half, 125,000 of them, are characterized as orphaned, vulnerable children, meaning they're open to exploitation, to abuse, to all sorts of stuff that's going on that would just break your heart. And the Lord has us on a journey where our mission is to provide them with loving, safe family homes. That's what we responded to. And that's what we've been going about. And that's a God-honoring vision, I think, but as we've gone about it, it's like this project has become so much more so than that. It's drawn us into like the orbit of it as we've gone about to like bless the poor. It's like drawn us into the orbit of it in God. And it's blessed us in so many other ways and taken off in so many other directions. And the Lord has extend, extended the scope of it to things that, uh, that we just couldn't have imagined. And in ways, I love it. I love the way he's done it. And I'll share some of the stories with you today. But he's done this in ways that we just couldn't make up ourselves. Like, and he's done that so that, that Rob, Patrice, anyone else involved, Liberty Church, can't take a li- even a little bit of the credit because we would have to lie and change the story to make it something that we could have thought up, to make it something that we could have like, walked in, something we could have planned, something that we were smart enough to figure out or we had enough money to figure out or, or whatever. Instead, God has just taken us on this journey where it's undoubtedly him. Like coincidence after coincidence after coincidence after coincidence, day after day after day, that it's become normal to see extraordinary things happen. Why? So that God gets all the glory for it. So God, we give you all the glory for everything that we share this morning, everything that you're doing, that you haven't forgotten the poor, Lord God, that you you hear the cry of the afflicted and the oppressed, Lord God. And amazingly, Lord, that you would use us to to be the answer, (laughs) that you would be the answer living in us and through us. And uh, what an honor, Lord God. We love you. We love you. So let me just let you know what's going on with the project, what's happened over the past while. We had a couple of aims when we went over. As you know, we finished our first um, two houses. They're completely finished. I think there's a little picture of them there, of the inside of them. Uh, You'll see the outside in a minute as you go through some other pictures. But basically, we built like little three-bedroom houses, and the idea is that each house will fit um, six children who right now have no one at all, are, are open to all sorts of stuff. Um, six children, and they'll be set inside with house parents. We're not forming a big institution. Our aim isn't to form something where, where kids can be institutionalized or put through programs or anything like that. We want to put kids into families. We want to put kids into families, into Christian households where they'll be raised. That When they're put into this house, this is their home for life. This isn't a program they go through. This isn't like a service that we're providing. This is a, a family that we're uniting these children um, into. So the houses have been built. Chris and Sheila have finished them to a great standard. We built a standard somewhere between, you'll walk around Lesotho and you'll see some houses where people have gone off to South Africa and built, built like got some money, came back and built a house to like a decent kind of standard. And then right next door to it, there's round mud huts about 10 foot in diameter with straw roofs and nothing inside, sleeping on a sheet on the ground. So we've built somewhere in between the middle of that. We wanted to provide the kids, not with like Irish houses or whatever, or not with the, the most basic of house either, but we wanted them to have, here's the quality of house you would have if you had parents who loved the Lord and were working hard for you and wanted the best for you in Lesotho, right? So we built them to that kind of standard um, and they've turned out amazing. Um, and one of our aims when we were over there then was to hire our first two like sets of, like, of foster parents, of, of people who will go in and, and, uh, and love these kids and set up the houses. And, uh, and we were delighted to be able to hire two people. The first guy is a man, his name is Mohau, which means mercy or grace. Um, and he comes to us. Um, that's him there, uh, the guy uh, just over Sheila's shoulder. Um, I should have taken pictures of them smiling. At the moment, they're like, the only pictures I have is me teaching them like child protection stuff where they look like rightly kind of like, uh, 
bored or whatever. But, uh, but um, that's Mahau there. He comes to us from a project in Seaman Kong, um, which, uh, which had lost its funding. But he oversaw the, the, the um, sponsorship of 120 children in the area of Seaman Kong, orphans. And then the same amount, again, of old folks, where he was providing them with food. He was running community development projects. He's like an entrepreneurial kind of guy who can start something from scratch, who has the leadership skills to do it. And God has blessed us by adding him to the project that he was willing to come up from Seaman Kong um, and move into one of the houses and is going to be one of our first house parents. Our second house parent, the lady on the, the left there just over my shoulder, is a lady called Mama Rapedi. And Mama Rapedi is uh, she's a retired school teacher from the village of Halabesa, which is where we've built our houses, where we got the land. Um, and she's just an incredible woman. She's, she's a woman who's, when we interviewed her, she's not afraid to speak her mind. Even in her interview, she's like throwing out ideas for the orphanage, or not for the, or for the, for the homes, ideas for how we should care, af- look after people. There was a funeral just this week um, in, the, in the village. One of the girls, Rose, her mother died. And it was a, a dark kind of like funeral, a dark kind of atmosphere, kind of some crazy stuff going on in the middle of it. And, uh, and Mama Rapedi, um, in the middle of that darkness, just started singing like a worship song and lifted the whole thing. She carries that kind of presence about her, a smile about her, a lifting of atmospheres about her. She's a teacher, fully qualified. She's also a qualified AIDS counselor, which is amazing that God's added these people to us to start. So if the kids are struggling in school, they're there. If the kids we take in have HIV AIDS and are struggling with how to deal about it, she's there. We have Mahau there who knows how to run businesses as we get about sustainability projects up and running. So there are first two members of staff who are hired now and who are living in the houses. They've moved in, one into each of the houses, um, and they're ready um, for kids to start arriving. So can I encourage you to pray for them? Mahau and Mama Rapedi, or if you can't remember those names, they have English names, which are Timothy and Josina, yeah? Timothy and Josina. Pray for them, because we can build great houses, we can have great ideas, we can have great stuff, but the quality of care that the kids actually get comes down to these guys. It comes down to, like, that's the bottleneck of it. That's, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road, where they're going to receive love from, where they're going to receive affirmation from, where they're going to be encouraged to, to fulfill their potential, where they're going to, like, where they're going to be embraced and welcomed is, is, is through these guys. So pray for them. Pray for them by name. They're, they're, they're part of our church. They're part of our project. Lift them up before the Lord. Lift up the situations before the Lord. As kids start to arrive who've been through all sorts of stuff, likely that kids have been through just through crazy stuff that's going to leave them traumatized that they'll be able to walk with them, that we can see healing in the Lord, yeah? That we can see restoration, that we can see people taken a hold of and moved into their future in God. Please, if you do anything, if you do one thing for us, pray, pray for those guys. Um, So that was them. The second thing that we wanted to do when we got over there was to get our agreement in place finally with the government. We have an organization set up in Lesotho that covers the legalities, but the last thing we needed was a... this document called a Memorandum of Understanding, an MOU between us and, uh, and the government in Lesotho that details their responsibilities, our responsibilities, etc. And guys, we've been chasing this down for like nine months. There was two things that I needed to do, I wanted to do when I get there. Hire staff and get the MOU done. Um, hiring staff was kind of within our control. Yeah, we can, we can do that. We can follow through a process. The MOU, completely out of our control. We'd suggested everything, we'd sent through drafts to the government, sometimes they'd write back, other times you wouldn't hear back for a month, you'd call them. We made friends with them on Facebook, we started like chasing them down, sending them messages, anyone whose name we could get, like saying what we were doing. Um, 
And so we, we got like glimpses of it. Just before I left, I was told that it was on the desk of the, the office of the principal secretary of the director of the Department of Social Development. They love titles in Lesotho, right? And, uh, and so it was on their desk, and if they signed it, then it would be passed to the director, and the director might be happy to sign it, and then we could come along and sign it. And so it was like Tuesday. We arrived there on a Saturday. It was Tuesday, and we still hadn't heard anything from these guys. We're chasing them down. And so we drove past their offices in Butabute town, and... Uh, I went in and knocked on the door, hoping that this guy, Mr. Hiroto, who's the, the director of the department in that particular district, was there. And he was. And uh, I knocked on his door and went in. And, uh, and he was like, okay, let's, let's see what we can do. So he got on the phone and he rang the city, uh, Maseru, the, main, the capital, the government offices there in the capital. And he couldn't get through and it was back and forth or whatever. Eventually he got them and he was like, okay, we might be able to get this signed by the end of the week if you leave it with us. And I was like, I was kind of like, I'm not leaving it with you. So let's, like, let's, let's, let's set a date, right? So we're on Tuesday. Wednesday was a public holiday and then I only had two days left in the country, Thursday and Friday. And I'm like, I need to get this signed by the end of it. Initially we're like, I'll come down on Friday to give the most time to get it ready. But then it turned out I had to do something else. So I was like, phone him back and forth. Can I come down Thursday? He's like, okay, if you come down Thursday, there's a chance that it might be ready to be signed. And so on Thursday morning, I got in the car and I just set off on the hope that when I got to the city, it might be ready to be signed. So it's about two and a half hours drive. I'm driving by myself towards the city. Um, about half an hour out from it, Mr. Hiroto, it's about half 12, Mr. Hiroto calls me and answered the phone. Um, and, uh, and he's like, Rob, if you can get here before one o'clock, we can sign this thing. And it's like half 12 and I'm half an hour away from the city, okay? And I'm like, like nine months we've been waiting for this and now I have a half an hour window to kind of make it there. So I start speeding towards the city, uh, like as fast as I can. I've, yeah, I probably did break the speed limit, just like as fast as, like as, fast as we can along the way. Um, and it's about a quarter to, and I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it in time. About a quarter to, he calls me again and he says, uh, oh, oh, by the way, you need to have a witness with you to, uh, to sign the form. And I'm like by myself in the car and I'm like, how am I, like, so I'm two hours away from Chris and Sheila who I've left there. No chance of me turning around and getting them. I know three people in Maseru, which is the city, like literally three people in the whole of the, of the, whole of the city I know. I call one of them, my friend Grant, he's up in an aeroplane. I hear like, he has his phone connected through like Bluetooth on his headset and uh, can't understand a word that he's saying. So then he starts texting me and he's like, I'm up in the airplane and he's texting me. And I'm like, you're in an airplane and you're texting me at the same time. He's flying the airplane. He's not just in the airplane, he's flying it. And he's, he's texting me and he's like, so I'm up in the air, Rob, I can't do it. The second person I know is Emily, his wife. Emily is seven hours drive away down in, in Palani Children's Center that she's the director of. The third person I knew, I text Grant, and I'm like, Grant, do you remember that guy who works in the stationery shop that we met in, like, Maseru? And I couldn't even remember his name. And he's like, Barry, is that what you're talking about? I'm like, yeah. So he sends me on Barry's number. And I, call, I pick out my phone to call Barry and be like, hey, you met me one time in a stationery shop. Can I, can I spin by and pick you up so you can come to, the, to an office and sign a form with me? I call his number, call his number. It won't, it won't connect. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, panicking, stressed out. Then I remember that we have a solicitor in Maseru, right? We have a solicitor who helped us set up the company. So I tried to call him. I'm calling the solicitor and my phone won't connect for some reason. Whatever network he's on, like, it won't allow me to call him. And so I'm stressed a bit. So I think I don't have enough of these airtime minutes that you put on your phone over there. So I see a little shack at the side of the road and it has like the big Vodacom logo on it that they're selling airtime. A little corrugated shack. It's all they sell. And so I pull in and I run back and I'm like to the girl in the shack, can I have some airtime? And she just looks at me blankly 
like, like, what's airtime? And I'm like, this is the only thing you sell. This is like the only thing that's in your shop is airtime. That's what you do. Like, airtime for my phone. And I'm pointing at my phone, and then she starts pointing at her phone. And then I'm just like, I'm so stressed. And my phone rings at that moment, and it's Patrice. And, uh, and I'm like, not now, Patrice. Not now. Like, but then I cop on, so I answer. And I'm like, not now. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Can you, can you call the solicitor for me? So she calls the solicitor ahead of me and she's like, Rob's going to be there in like 10 minutes to pick you up and then we're going to go across to the government offices to get this signed. And fair play to him, he says, he says yes, right? So I speed towards the solicitors. I'm just there and it's like five to one and Mr. Hiroto calls me again and I, like, I don't even let him speak. I'm like, Mr. Hiroto, I'm just across the road and just picking up my solicitor. We're going to run across and we're going to sign this form. And he's like, oh, the guys have gone. And I'm like, oh, my heart sinks. And then he finishes the sentence. He's like, they've gone to lunch. He's like, can you come back at two? And I'm like, did you just want me to get this done by one o'clock so you could go to lunch? And, uh, and he was like, yeah. And so we, got it, so we could, have came, could have came at any time during the day after all this panic. And so I'm equally parts relieved and raging at the same time, right? And uh, we go to the solicitor's office and I hang out with them for a while. And we go across and we sit in and uh, agree to everything that's in the MOU. And uh, we signed it. And now we're officially registered with, uh, with the government of Lesotho as an agency. And... Uh, and there's nothing, there's nothing in the way. The only other thing they had to do then was next week they had to come out and inspect our houses, make sure they met the minimum standard of care. If you flick over, this is, uh, that dude in the middle beside Sheila is Mr. Hiroto who went to lunch at one o'clock and stressed me out a bit. The rest of them are, uh, are people from the department and then you've got Mahau and Mama Rapedi as well. They're standing outside our houses. They, like, great big pats on the back to Chris and Sheila who must have been proud as punch that they, uh, they said that... Uh, that we set a standard in the houses that they're going to send other people to come and look at um, and a model that, that can be an example to other people around Lesotho. So we are, uh, we're ready. One day is just about here. There's nothing left to get into place for kids to start arriving. So Mr. Hiroto there is going to start identifying children and as soon as tomorrow, I don't know, as soon as this week, kids will start arriving into the houses that, that there was kids who thought we called this project one day because we're like, one day there'll be no more orphans. One day Jesus will return and the kingdom will be expressed and all of the things that caused this to happen will be gone. One day sickness will be gone. One day there'll be no more AIDS. One day there'll be no more poverty. One day there's the fulfillment of the preaching of the good news to the poor and uh, and what a blessing that at the same time there's kids in Lesotho who are thinking one day I'll have a place to live. One day maybe somebody will love me. One day maybe I won't have to live in fear. And, uh, and for 12 kids over the next couple of weeks that one day has happened. And uh, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more grateful to the Lord that he allowed us to walk in this thing with him. God, you're so good. Every bit of glory, every ounce of it, Lord. Every, every bit of adoration and thankfulness, Lord, that exists for this goes to you, Lord God. It's yours, Lord. It's yours. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power that made it happen, Lord God, forever and ever, Lord God. We commit, Lord, to not taking any of the credit, Lord. It's just for you. It's just for you. So at 2.39 p.m., we signed our memorandum of understanding last Thursday. I know it was 2.39 p.m. because I got a message at exactly the same time as I was about to sign it. And I'll let you know what that, what that message was in a minute. Um, one of the biggest blessings. So we got those two things done that we wanted to get done. But one of the biggest blessings of being there are the other things that God makes happen along the way that weren't planned at all. And just getting to spend time with our missionaries and, uh, and refresh them were incredible. One, I got to spend time with Grant. Um, do you have a picture? This is, uh, this is me and Grant up in Grant's airplane. So uh, Grant is, uh, the Lord does incredible things. You know, you guys met Grant and Emily when they came here. So Grant is a South African guy. 
Emily is an American girl. They both live in Lesotho in Maseru, and somehow Liberty Church in Bray is their home church. Okay? So this is, this is their home church. They me and Patrice are their pastors. We're in contact with them over messaging and whatever. And um, they were running Pilani Children's Center, which has been a great encouragement to us and a great like, uh, inspiration to us. And Grant, um, Emily now runs that and travels back and forth. That's why she wasn't there when I called. Uh, she was down in Pilani. And Grant was up in an airplane. He flies for Mission Aviation Fellowship. He's a pilot. And every day, he goes into this space. They're in like this, uh, this, this Air Force base where there's like army helicopters and all. And there's these four MAF planes. And every day, he flies out like supplies to remote villages high in the mountains of Lesotho that would take days to get to. He flies out like medical supplies, vaccinations. He flies out patients like to hospitals who otherwise couldn't get there and would lose their lives. Babies who were born premature, grant out in his airplane, picking them up, bringing them back to Maseru. This guy is a hero. He does this stuff every day. And uh, I was blessed on Friday to be able to go up with him in his airplane, taking off these like dirt landing strips in the middle of the mountains. There's like horses. He had to abandon one... Uh, landing twice because there was guys like st- digging on the track. Uh, he's coming down and he's like flying by. He's like, they will have heard me and then they'll be off. Comes back around, they're still there digging. They must have tried to fix something, a hole or something. Comes back around, they're gone and he lands. And Just incredible, once in a lifetime experience getting to spend time with them. Please pray for them. Pray for them by name. They're, they're absolute heroes. Our other, so they're one set of our missionaries in Lesotho. Who would, like, what, what are we to have missionaries in Lesotho? Um, Grant and Emily, the next, uh, Chris and Sheila, who you know, who we sent out from here, that's them standing with uh, Mepiani, who was, um, remember I tell you the story about Chris when he had that dream about the puppies, and he showed up like at this side, and the same puppies that were in his dream ran outside of the door, that's the door that they ran out of, just of this hut, up beside our site, that's Mepiani, um, who, uh, who they, an old woman who lives in there, who they've been looking after, Chris made her a bed, and all sorts of stuff going on as they've gotten involved in the community. And Chris and Sheila have been through a tough time over the past couple of weeks. Please, again, pray for them. If there's one thing you take away from this, pray for these people because it makes, it makes such a difference. Um, and here, like simple things that probably would annoy us here, but I really got them down there over the past couple of weeks. Their, their vehicle, we bought them a big Hilux um, from some fundraising that we did. And over the past couple of months, it's just given them trouble and and everybody who owns a spanner in Lesotho claims to be a mechanic, right? And like they're, they're saying, yeah, we can fix it, we can fix it. So they've come along, the drive shaft broke, then the pump broke, and then they replaced the pump with a, a dodgy pump, so the injectors went. And then the, and then the brakes went, and then the clutch went. At one stage, he had, had different mechanics coming out each evening to him, sometimes not showing up, and then they were out the car for a day. And then they do show up, but they don't know what to do. They were out the car again for a day, meaning they can't get up to site. They're just stuck in this town called Buta Buta, where they have nothing really to do. And uh, one stage, this guy came around, and uh, he was going to fix it, and he took it apart, took out the clutch, took it apart, and then, and then he figured out that he actually didn't know what he was doing. So he literally, he literally, I'm not making this up, he literally just legged it. He just pegged it, took to his feet, turned off his phone, and left the clutch in pieces on the ground. And, uh, and it was there for a couple of days till Chris could find somebody else to come out again. And people not showing up, and blah, blah, blah. And so it just, it just got to them, yeah? When we arrived, they were kind of like, they were optimistic about what God was doing and speaking the language of, yeah, God's doing this and God's doing that. And we realized this is an attack by the enemy. But there's also just like a discouragement in their heart, you know, just a, anytime we mention the car, or he looks out the window at the car and he's like, ah. you can just see like he's been sitting in this room looking out, waiting for it to be fixed. And, and, uh, and the joy of just being able to carry what we carry in God. I've been in a season in life in God where God's joy has just been my strength, where first time in my life entered into like this sustained season of starting every morning with prayer and worship and waiting on the Lord that's just helped me to grow in stature just to the extent that I feel I have something to even give to other people 
um, out, out of that. And so sitting with Chris and Sheila and bringing them through the same stuff, myself and Sharon were there, praying with them, laying hands on them, speaking over them, like singing songs together, worship songs that we've been singing in church here, just being with them. And you saw their countenance change literally over the days. And at one stage we played this Robin Mark song, right, because we wanted like some Irish-style music. And uh, do you know that one where in the middle of it it just breaks into like a Kaylee? You know, it's like from one of the Mandate albums or something. And, uh, and Sheila is nuts anyway. Sheila's like, like clicking her fingers and laughing and singing and and after Chris says he has this vision, I believe it was completely of God. Uh, it sounds weird, but I believe it completely of the Lord. He says he has a vision of Jesus doing like an Irish jig during the, during the thing. And uh, I believe like Jesus was there with us. And I believe Jesus, God, who's the source of all joy, just let him see the joy that he has in them. And is saying, look, I'm, I'm up for the crack with you. I'm up for it. Let's, let's walk in this thing together. Let, me, let my joy be your strength. And, uh, and just seeing, them, seeing their countenance change over the week while we were there was, was just... Uh, was just such a blessing. And uh, in one of those meetings, I get to that message I got at 2.39, in one of those meetings when we were there, we started uh, thinking about the church service that had started in Halabasa. So we went out to, to build homes for orphans. While we were there last year with a group of Irish people on, in September, we had a worship night one night in the, in the house where we were staying. And, uh, and people from the village heard it. We must have been loud, like singing or whatever. So they heard it and they asked, look, will you run another worship night for us to come in? So people from the village hear us worshiping, hear the sound of, of what's going on and us coming out. And they're like, can we, can we be a part of that? So the next night we run another worship night. And they came in. And I probably told you about it last time when I got back, but it just wouldn't end. So we did our songs and worship like we do here. We're like, yeah, we flow with it or whatever. It's like 30, 40 minutes. But like these guys know how to sing and dance and whatever. They start bursting out into songs in Susutu that just went on forever. And they're dancing around the room. There's like conga lines going around the room as they're like worshiping the Lord. And then we'd be like, amen. And then somebody else would just start off singing again. And, uh, and it, just, it went on for like two or three hours. And it was like, honestly, one of the most joyful, like beautiful experiences of my life. Out of that, they asked us, would we do a Sunday morning? service for them so uh, from our from our site we ran a Sunday morning service um, like and, uh, and 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 that went incredibly the team that then came out then on the second trip in October like kicked off from that again we were like look here's this here's what we didn't plan but what God has started to do was gather a group of people who just want to hear about Jesus in the village of Halabasa and uh, so Noel and Patrice, Tom, a few other guys who were on that, they ran with services then while they were there again. They had this big church service under the tree, uh, they call it. And they had, you see, can you see? Yeah, the Jeep in the background. They opened the doors of the Jeep and played like music through the sound system of the Jeep and ran church service there. That tree actually belongs to Mama Rapedi, uh, who's, our, who's our, uh, our first house parent as well. Um, so we had church underneath her tree. In that church service, Noel talks to uh, the chief of the village and he asks her, talks to her about Jesus, and she asks Jesus into her life, and he's like, now will you invite Jesus to be Lord of this village, like as the authority over the village, and she does, and asks Jesus to be Lord of, of Halabasa, the village. Out of that, a Bible study starts every Saturday evening, and, uh, and it runs, I think we have a picture of it from last Saturday this is the Bible study last Saturday, which is going on. They get 60 to 70 people every, every Saturday evening coming along to hear the word of the Lord. Tom there bought some Bibles for them in Susutu. And the people who show up consistently get, get a Bible. And Chris says, you want to see the celebration when somebody gets a Bible? And uh, they're singing and they're dancing and they're delighted to have the word of the Lord. And so, uh, and so there's this guy who's been running it for us from, uh, from the church in the nearest town called Buta Buta. Uh, two lads have been running, a guy called Ntlaba and a guy called Mr. Brown or Ntate Brown, okay? So 
in Lesotho, you, like they're still very polite. So if I'm saying hello to Patrice, I don't say hello Patrice, I say hello May Patrice, which is like Mrs. Patrice. Or I say hello in Tate, in Tate Tom or whatever, yeah? Um, and in Tate just means like, like sir or father, right? But the way they say it, it sounds, like, it sounds like daddy, right? So you're walking around calling all these people daddy, which, which feels a bit weird. And uh, Tate Brown is the guy who's been running our, uh, our Bible study for us. And is laughing at Sharon all week, like refused to just call him by his name. One, because she's like, I'm not calling, I'm not calling a grown man daddy. I'm not calling. And then second, right, because his surname is Brown and he's a black man, she like, thinks it's like, she thinks it's like racist <laughs> to, call him, to call him a Tate Brown. And it's like, it's not racist. That's his, that's his name. It's racist not to call him by his name. And, uh, and so, but they start talking about this guy in Tate Brown. And, uh, and they just talk about the blessing he's been to, all through the car stuff. He would come over each evening and sit with them and translate for them and help them out. He runs the Bible study every week there. Chris is like, you want to hear this guy speaking? You want to hear how this guy speaks about Jesus? You want to hear the way he's able to unpack the word and teach? And then he came down on the Saturday evening. Um, we arrived on the Saturday. We just missed the church service. And he came down to tell Chris and Sheila how it had gone because they were waiting for us. And, uh, and just the love he had for it. It's like the welcome that people had given him and the desire that God has given him to be with these people. I found myself asking from some reason, I don't know why, but I found myself asking, look, what would it, what would it look like if we were to, to hire Tate Brown as a, as, as a pastor of that church and to, to move it from being a Bible study um, into, a, into a church plant. I just found it coming out and it, felt, it was in a place of prayer and worship and, and it felt right in the Lord. And we started to talk about it and Chris starts to unpack everything who we, who, about who this Tate Brown is and, and, uh, and there's like a tear, tear in his eye as he's explaining it and, and, and Sharon starts to talk about him. And Sharon has like a gifted discernment. Anyone who's been around her, Sharon will know straight away, like when, whenever they're around someone, there's like, no, there's something off about him. You know what I mean? There's just, there's something, there's something not right about her. There's something, she has this gift of discernment. But her thinking around in Tate Brown, she's like, it's like he carries this peace when he walks into a room. This calmness. She says he's like an, he's like an angel walking into the room. And, uh, and so we started to think about and pray about it. I got to Noel, told him what I was thinking. Noel, thinking about planting a church in, <laughs> in Halabesa, um, out of the Bible study that's happened. And, uh, and so we met with him. We met with him and his wife. And we talked with them uh, just to see where they were at, to hear their, their passion, to hear what they're doing. They're incredible, incredible people. One other sign that we had, like Sharon had... Uh, so I spent the week with, with Sharon, yeah, who's my mother-in-law. So praise the Lord, I got to spend like, like 10 days with my mother-in-law and nobody died, which is like, like incredible. And, uh, and she, had this, she, she had this vision uh, like on one of the first nights and I should have I listened, but she spoke a lot, right? So I like, I switched off, if I'm honest, at times. But part of, the, part of one of the visions I remember, she's talking something about a flag. She'd seen this flag, like an Irish flag, right? But not like the tricolor, but instead like the, you know, like the, it might be one of the flags of one of the provinces where it's like, like a green flag with a gold harp on it. And she's speaking something about this. And then we were sitting down for dinner with Ntate Brown, his wife, and his kids. And she looks down at, at his kid's jumper. Um, it's a couple of days later. And the kid's jumper has this exact flag on it. It has like, uh, it's like some sort of GAA jumper somehow we randomly. They didn't wear it because they knew it was Irish. They knew nothing about it. Didn't know it was anything got to do with Ireland at all. And, uh, and it has this flag right on his jumper like that, that she saw on a vision earlier that day. And, and I got to... The Thursday morning before I drove to Maseru to get the MOU signed, we thought about it and prayed about it enough to feel it was right. I got to go for a walk with Tate Brown and ask him, um, what would he think about, about going into ministry? If we could support him, if we could help him get training, if he could uh, be full-time at what he's already doing for the Lord on his own time. 
um, and we could support him in that. And rightly so, he said he'd think about it and talk to his wife about it and whatever. And to get back to that text message, just as I'm signing the MOU at 2.39 p.m. up in Maseru, I get a text from Atate Brown at that exact moment to say that, uh, that they're in. And, uh, and they're, they're pastoring the church in Halabasin, Buta Buta. Give the Lord a round of applause. He's amazing. He's, uh, um, and uh, I, left, I left that office with the MOU signed and with this pastor hired having walked with them. And I began to cry. And I've, I've, cried, uh, I've cried loads of times in Lesotho. Usually my heart breaking for, for stuff that you see. Um, kids and just the situation. And, uh, but this time... Like, my heart is like, I'm crying overwhelmed at the faithfulness of God. Great is your faithfulness, oh God, my Father. Like, and, uh, and I remember, like, just even in my own life, four years ago, I remember walking through town with a pastor from Nashville who was offering to support me and Patrice in ministry. And here I am four years later walking with a guy offering to support him and his wife in ministry. And I'm like, God, how do we get to do this? How do I get to, like, how do we get to do this, guys? Only God, like, it's only him who can make it up. It's only him who can do it. He's so good. He's so faithful. He's amazing. He's doing incredible things in incredible ways. And we're only getting started, yeah? So we have our first two houses built. This year, we're going to build another two houses. The year after that, we're going to build another four houses. The year after that, we're going to build another four houses. Eventually, we're going to end up with 16 houses on our first site in Halabesa and Butabuta, which will have 96 children uh, being looked after. And beyond that, we'll see what the Lord wants to do through us in that country. But there are plans. Um, There's going to be teams going out in September, October that you can get on and actually physically help build the houses. Another thing we're going to do, again, God orchestrating stuff in nuts ways. We had a plan this year. Our plan was to build two houses and to build a multi-purpose space, to build a big space where the kids can be together and eat together and play. And it can be a community space for workshops. It can be a space where this growing church can can now meet and have a building that they can utilize, be a space of outreach to the community, a place of of, of training that that eventually this, this center that we're building in Halabasa isn't just home to 96 kids, but it becomes a community of care. We develop the expertise for that to expand beyond into the other villages that exist around. We want this center to be a place where we can train people, bring people, equip people, send out resources from there, bring people over from Ireland, increase the capacity locally in Lesotho, that we have this space to build it. And so we had it drawn, and literally we just had a plan. We want to build this, and it was like a box drawn on our site map yeah, of where it was going to go. And no plan whatsoever as to how we build a building that size, much bigger than any of the houses or whatever. We looked at steel prices. Chris was researching some stuff. I was Googling other stuff. And nothing was really clicking that wasn't ridiculous money um, or that wasn't like hard to get into Lesotho or whatever. About four weeks ago, Noel goes down to speak at an event in Cork. Uh, called Fireland, a group of churches in Cork get together once a year and like wait in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and Noel was at it. A couple, he spoke, a couple waited to speak to him after the service. Um, they came up and they were a South African couple, an Indian couple from South Africa. And, uh, and so, of course, he starts talking about Lesotho, telling them what's going on there, what's whatever. And turns out their church back in South Africa, they build a church every year around Africa as their missions project. So they all take these two-liter bottles of like Coke, uh, empty them out and fill them with money throughout the year. They all bring them back in at the end of the year and it's enough money to then build a church around Africa every year. They connect us with this lady called Caroline who works for an organization called Judea Harvest who connects us with the boss again. I speak to him on Skype and, uh, and they have this, this product that they call um, a snap church which I'll tell you about in a second. And so I'm ringing him looking for how do, we, how, do we, uh, how do we build a building, right? And he's like, Rob, 
we can help you build a building, okay? But what we'd really love to do is to partner with you. And here's what Judea Harvest are about. There's over a million pastors in the continent of Africa who've no training whatsoever. No, 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 no training in, in Bible study. Maybe somebody has mentored them. Maybe somebody's believed in them. And that's great, but they've received no sort of training. So they're about training these guys. And they've developed a couple of cool different things. Right, let me show you this, because I get excited about this stuff. Um, see, this little thing looks like a little walkie-talkie or like a kid's mobile phone, right? But it's like a solar panel on the back here, okay? Um, so it's solar powered. And uh, I'll turn it on. And uh, let me press this. In the beginning, God created the heavens. It's an audio Bible, right? It's an audio Bible. Like they have it in Susutu in the language, solar powered, that they can give to anyone who can't Darkness read. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Exodus. Exodus, Leviticus. Cool, isn't it? So people who can't read at all now can have a Bible in their own language, can't run out of battery. He says like these things, a crater them dropped in the water one time and uh, they took them all out and just put them in the sun and they dried and they still worked, right? So we can put like these in the hands of people who can't read now in the suit who haven't had a chance for an education. Here's the real cool bit, right? He presses this red button on it. From the herd. And initially I thought, all right, you put like some worship music on this thing. It's like a bit dated or whatever, but... Hello and welcome to the Mini Bible College, brought to you by Transworld Radio. Did you hear that? It's like a, it's a mini Bible college on it. There's 215 Bible college lessons in original languages like installed on this thing as well. So they can give this to a pastor in the middle of the bush somewhere in Africa, around no resources, with no electricity or whatever. He has a Bible even if he can't read, and he has 215 Bible college lessons on a thing that can't run out of battery and is like virtually indestructible. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely incredible. So they do this to train pastors. And uh, we've just hired a pastor, not knowing we were going to, and now we're connected with, with some guys who offer training for pastors in their local language or whatever. Um, aside from that, so they'll do this training with the pastor, and then pastors will be meeting like we're meeting under a tree somewhere. And, uh, and it's like they're going to need something to, to live in or to work out of. So they had this vision to give away like 3,000 tents. You put it on that last picture before there, Maliki. Um, these big like circus tents, right, that uh, will seat like 200 people. And they've done 3,000 of these around Africa, which they reckon is enough to have a million people meeting inside of these tents. Um, and so... Um, so we have a church who are meeting under a tree, so we've got a tent off them now. So Chris and Sheila picked up on Thursday at the border. They went and they, they picked up their tent, and Chris is erecting it as we speak. And the church will have a home which looks like this for the next, for the next while. And the kids will have a space which looks like this for the next while. Then the next kind of cool thing that they do is once a church has had a tent for a while and it's outgrown that, that they build a thing that they call the Snap Church, right? And this is how we connected them eventually. This is a Snap Church, well, a little model of it, right? Um... And basically what it is, is uh, a metal framed building that they put up and then they pour a slab in and then they have these walls that come along and click together and they put a roof on it. And here's the incredible thing. We can build, they can build a snap church that will see 230 people. It's eight meters by 13 meters um, in 10 days. We can build this church from start to finish, ready to move in. Uh, there's a picture of like a finished one on the inside there, like that you can get to within like kind of two weeks period. Uh, to this finished space inside to have a church. And so they've offered to partner with us and in September, October, when the teams go out this year, we'll be finishing off our next two houses and we'll be building a snap church from beginning to end uh, so that we have this building. Like, how, like, like we have plans to build something like this and the plans exist as a piece on a piece of paper. Here's what we'd like to do in year two. 
and God ordains Noel to speak at a thing in Cork, some South Africans to be there to connect us with this other group. And uh, I sat, this time last week, I sat with uh, Pastor Cola, who's the CEO of Judea Harvest. And again, I found myself, he's like a big, tough Afrikaans man. Like those Africans, they must have been like selectively bred or something. They're all like six foot tall, big farmers, huge, huge guys. And I'm sitting and he's turning through their brochure, showing them what they're doing. And I'm like crying like a baby, like a big idiot looking like in front of him. Because each time he turns a page, you see another aspect of something that's been put in our heart to do. And the Lord's aligned us with people with the expertise and how to do it like who are doing it and have a proven track record. They have all this, new, this food they provide at a cost of only 12 cents a meal that provides all the nutrition that a growing child needs, all their, their macronutrient needs in a dehydrated meal with a three-year shelf life. You can go with a team of people and pack enough, like, like 10,000 of them in a day and bring them down to the site, which we'll be with one of the teams when we go through. They have a preschool program, that's a Christian preschool program that they run, and they train local people in, in early childhood development, take them through an 18-month course like uh, accredited by a university in Pretoria and set them up as early childhood development workers in a community inside a Christian centre called the Hope Centre, which is hopefully what our tent turns into when we move the church and all that stuff into the Snap Church come September. And we've got this group of people who are like, we'll walk with you all the way. We know how to do this stuff. We've got the resources. We've got the things there. Um, I want to partner with us. God has just done amazing, amazing, incredible things. And, uh, and I'm just overwhelmed at, at his faithfulness and that is goodness. Um, thank you guys for your support of Chris and Sheila. Thank you guys for your coming out on teams, for giving financially, for giving of, of us, of me and Patrice, when we disappear for a month off to Lesotho, um, for allowing us to do this, to do this stuff, and for walking with us in it. I'm convinced I would love for each and every one of you to get to come out to Lesotho with us and be a part of it and see on the ground what it is that God is doing through us. Us. Imagine. Imagine a group of randomers sitting in a building in Bray. And, uh, and God would use us to change people's lives. So, Father, we just celebrate you. Every ounce of glory is yours, Lord God. It couldn't have made it up. Couldn't have done it. It's, it's just you, Lord. Even the desire to do it is from you, Lord God. It's all about you, Lord God. And, uh, and we just sing of your faithfulness, Lord God. We just sing. Let's, I don't make a tar or whatever. Let's just sing that great is thy faithfulness where we're at to. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. We celebrate your faithfulness, Lord God. We stand in awe of you and what you would do, Lord, with our little lives, Lord God. Aligned with your glory, Lord. 
I pray that you would call each of us, Lord, to step into your plans and purposes. To live, Lord, in the jaw-dropping wonder that I've got to experience this week at just you moving, Lord. And I'm, I, I believe with all my heart, Lord God, that that's, that that's the, the portion and the blessing you have for each person who will step into your plans. For each person who will surrender and say, God, I just want what you want. That day after day, that morning by morning, Lord, new mercies they'd see, Lord. That all they'd need your hand would provide, Lord. And they'd be able to sing from the depths of their hearts without any, Lord, shadow or conflict, Lord God, that you're faithfulness is great lord god and endures forever and ever all the glory is lord yours lord all the honor is yours lord god all the power is yours lord god please continue to bless this project bless chris and sheila bless mamaro Pady, bless mahau bless grant and emily bless puts does security lord god bless mr Hiroto, who this week will begin to identify children lord god and bless each child lord god who comes into our care lord god that they would raise up mighty in the land lord god filled with the holy spirit lord god and would be the first fruits lord of what you would do in the suit to Lord God, until the ends of the earth, Lord, until you return, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That is good. Yeah. Good for the Lord. God, you're good.